What is happening? Welcome to episode 418 of On the Corner, the official PitcherList.com podcast. I'm your host, Jake Crumpler, joined by the late night Nick Pollock. Nick, how's it going on? <laughs> what is happening? Yes, it is 922 on Sunday, October 22nd. I don't know why I'm talking like this. Uh, as <laughs> Texas is playing Houston right now on our, the right screen. Jake isn't watching it because he's a really lovely podcast guest. I'm a terrible host. And uh, this is one of the rare times in the year I actually get to host podcasts consistently. And what we're doing, as everybody knows, is we're going over mock drafts and we're going to review all of 20, all 23 of Jake Crumpler's uh, 2024 fantasy baseball mock draft. But before we begin, Jake, tell everybody here um, what you're about, where they can find you, what you do. Um, I'm about baseball, uh, big, 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 big baseball guy. Um, yeah, at Pitcherless, I do a, a couple different things during the regular season. I did the weekend editions of the first pitch podcast. Yeah, it was a, a blast. Um, and then I also do in the pen, which is Pitcherless bullpen podcast. I do that with Rick Graham and Callan Elslager. That one's uh, that one's great to tune in uh, every other week during the off season and every week during the regular season. And I'm um, part of the reliever team, so I do reliever ranks articles, and then I do the uh, the one off article every twice a month or so. Nice, yeah. And uh, also, I mean, you do stuff outside of Pitcherless as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I write for uh, Baseball HQ. I'm a playing time analyst for the Giants, A's, Diamondbacks, and Angels. Uh, that should be. Interesting this offseason, considering those teams should be making a lot of moves. So I'll be, uh, you know, preparing the playing time boards over there at Baseball HQ. And I also have a personal podcast called Free Baseball that I do every week or so. Um, that one, we, we, we're getting like 100 views of podcasts. I, I think we're doing pretty well. Hey, there you go. Uh, I'll be honest with you. That's a paid one, right? Uh, Just kidding. <laughs> if it was a paid podcast called Free Baseball... That, that would be something oh, else. I, I, I um, missed the joke. It went right over yeah, my head. That, that's on me completely. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm really excited, of course, to have Jake here today. And uh, so Jake was in this 12-team mock draft with yours truly. Um, and for everybody listening, reminder here, it is a 5 by 5 Yahoo settings. That is three outfielders, two utility spots. Uh, wins, not quality starts. And that means also five games positional eligibility for starts and 10 if just played why do we do that one because it is the most popular format and also just gives us a good foundation that we can then extrapolate to other leagues throughout the entire offseason in addition it is two different otanis it doesn't matter this year as much but i still have to mention it in the beginning because both were drafted if you listen to steve Diswelly's <laughs> podcast you would understand that thought process but here we are and what i've been been doing recently is adding a few extra questions at the beginning um first question you went uh and grabbed the sixth spot uh was that by choice or were you forced into that one uh yeah i picked second um so it was definitely by choice i considered the first pick because that one was so easy to me but i said you know right. let's try to uh give myself a challenge i put myself right in the middle at six i i, I looked through some of the players from last year and where I thought they'd be going this year. And I felt like you know, top six gives you a good shot at like all of the 30, 30 guys from last year. And uh, mm-hmm. I felt like I'd be able to get at least one guy that I felt really confident would be able to give me power and speed. Nice. And uh, now that you've completed the draft, do you feel that you want to draft in the sixth spot or is there another spot that you'd rather go for? It's, it's hard to tell because that, 
point in the draft gets sort of it, it sort of doesn't matter later on in the draft where you're drafting. I, f- I feel like that order is usually good for like the first three or four rounds. And I felt mm-hmm. good about it for the first three or, or for the first few rounds. But the amount of talent on the offensive side sort of gives you so much room to have put together a great team from any draft spot in that area. Definitely. So I, I absolutely understand that. And when you were going into this draft, did you have a specific uh, goal or strategy that you were trying to do? And then after that, is there one now that you finished it that you might want to adapt? I didn't have a preconceived strategy for this, um, but I I was building it as I was going forward. What Mm -hmm. I did learn from it, though, is that I want to focus on pitching a lot. It's uh, it. It's pretty weak in the, in the top 30 or so. So I feel like being more focused on, on pitchers early on is, is very important. And especially in this format, I think um, not caring too much about the infield positions is important just because of Yahoo's roster breakdown. You have so few infield spots that you can the replacement level is really, really high. Um, Because you're only covering first base, second base, third base, shortstop. You don't have the middle infield, corner infield like you do on other platforms. So you're not really digging super deep into that pool. And that gives you a lot of opportunities either later in the draft to get guys that you can feel good about or to pick guys up off the waiver wire during the season. Well, I would imagine one of your strengths, um, Jake, which you didn't really mention here, of course, is relievers. You need to talk about that one. And of course, running in the pen with uh, doing reliever mm-hmm. ranks, you would feel confident, I would assume, in finding help in saves as the season goes on. Also doing your player analysis uh, with uh, with Baseball HQ would say, look, I, if I need to find a, a deeper second base or shortstop that actually could be very much 12-team eligible that's on the wire, I, you know, you, I would imagine you would feel uh, confident to find that. I might disagree about the the gap of the top tier second baseman and then later on versus other positions. Mm-hmm. Um, also in um, that uh, that lineup depth applies to everything that includes outfield concerns. There's only three outfield spots, mm-hmm. uh, which then says, OK, generally, I'm still going to likely find a easier outfielder um, or an outfield spot to replace is easier than a second base or shortstop in season still uh we're gonna see kind of how your draft played out and we'll talk about that because your first pick was that middle infield spot um it's bobby witt jr that was uh 30 home runs 97 runs 96 rbi 49 stolen bases and 276 average so all around production here from bobby witt who i think this is the second straight year now he's going to be going in the first round how did you feel about this one I, I felt really good about it. Uh, like I said, I, I looked at the number of guys that were 30-30 or the best power speed guys from last year, and he was on that list. So I, I was really honestly excited to get any of the guys that went that early. I think I would have preferred getting an outfielder. All the the five power speed outfielders all went Oof. first. Um, so I, I was sort of stuck with him, but I think that's that's completely fine. The fact that he was going first round last year makes me more confident that he'll be able to build off off this past season. Uh, he's, he's so good, and I think he's just going to keep getting better. The only thing there is the runs and RBI numbers might not be at the same level of the guys that went before him because he's on such a bad team in the Royals. But I think the Royals really underperformed last year. And this is a team that 
could probably take a, a slight step forward. I don't want to say um, a big one because they were pretty bad last year. Uh, but there's definitely some room for improvement for him, mostly in the average department. But I feel like his combination of power and speed is pretty hard to find at any other point in the draft. Yeah, um, I actually have a theory just about really bad teams, at least teams that we don't like in one season. They generally get better offensively the next year, especially mm-hmm. nowadays when the best talent in the majors is youth. And the more that teams lean into youth, I'm finding that they generally do well faster than we expect. So it doesn't matter, you know, obviously it depends on the quality of the players that do come up, of course. But Nelson Velasquez, for example, I think he gets better next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe Bobby White gets better and so on and so forth. Vinny P back in that lineup. It's not a, you know, it's not a absolute guarantee that the Royals are the worst or one of the worst offenses again. Um, now, I saw you take Bobby Witt and go, really, did he have that good of a season? And, I was, and then I saw, man, I should not have gone for Kyle Tucker. Uh, <laughs> only because it's a shortstop uh, position where shortstop is not deep this year. I remember last year, this is actually really funny. I don't think I mentioned it on the end of these podcasts so far. If you remember last year, it was like the sixth to the eighth round were these like, Seven different guys were all saying, okay, I would just want one of these. It was Wanda Franco. It was Tim Anderson. It was Xander Bogarts. It was Dansby Swanson. Actually, Swanson was later. Um, O'Neill Cruz was there. Correa. Uh, Wander, um, Wilson, uh, the guy in the Brewers. Willie uh, Adamas. Willie Adamas. There you go. Uh, you know, all of these. And none of them were great. None mm-hmm. of it works. Even mm-hmm. Carlos Correa who went later. And so we don't see that this year. And there's only, I think, six or so that I would feel like, yes, got that one. That's good. Mm-hmm. And getting Bobby Witt does really set you up later on. We're going to be talking a lot about hitters, how they fall and everything in this one. I'm still trying to figure out what I what I believe is the best first three picks. Um, like, for example, last year for me, I actually think I did that in legs in the league, league is the only reason why I was even in playoff contention, which was Betts, um, Austin Riley and Matt Olson, my first three picks. Because there you go. There's my infield for the most part. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's going to be hard to figure that out. So I, I I love that you took Bobby Witt. It might be something I'm doing instead of Kyle Tucker because of how tough it is to do um, shortstops. And let's be honest, your second pick is incredible. It's Jordan Alvarez. Uh, if, if you took my first two, Kyle Tucker and Ozzy Albies, I'd much rather have Bobby Witt Jr. and Jordan Alvarez, who had 31 home runs, 77 runs, 97 RBI. Yeah, sure, zero solid bases, 293 average, but it was 114 games. I mean, we know this. Jordan Alvarez is one of the greatest hitters in baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is essentially, you can make an argument that's Aaron Judge just uh, eight picks later, nine picks later. Uh, how did you feel about Jordan Alvarez? <laughs> I felt really good. He's, uh, yeah. I, I think he might be the best pure hitter in baseball. The fact that he's able to consistently bat over 300 and have really good plate discipline while also having the ability to hit 40 plus home runs. If he plays a full season that on top of being in a really, really strong Houston Astros lineup allows him to rack up the run producing numbers. And going in the second round, I feel like that's definitely a steal. Obviously he doesn't provide any speed and obviously he's got injury concerns that have kept him from having consistent full seasons every single year. But I think the rate basis makes him so good. And I wasn't really worried about the lack of speed there because Bobby Witt Jr. steals so freaking much that it allowed me to 
forego a, a guy that was going to provide speed by by taking Alvarez there. Yeah, the uh, the injury question is obviously the biggest thing that I didn't that I just kind of ignored in that first bit, um, and I shouldn't have. I did y'all a disservice. That's why, of course, he's in the second round here. But I, I mean, I really dig it. Uh, 144 games, 135 games, and 114 in the last three years for Jordan Alvarez. So there is a question saying maybe there is actual just generalized. Hey, he's not going to give you that full year. There is an argument this, that says, look, if he's healthy out of the gate, then you take that production and then you find the replacement value in a 12-teamer. Yep, That is a smaller gap than in other leagues. If it's an 8-teamer, you are taking Jordan Alvarez every time. Who cares, right? So we're going to move on to the, the third round. And I, you know, this is what I am doing once again. It's just like I was talking about before. Second base is tough. Second base is really the 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 dearth of options. It's not even like short, not even like catcher, because catcher just isn't good anywhere. And so then all of it is grouped together and whatever, who cares? There isn't really to me, I mean, sure you can say like Adley Rutschman, but he's not so far ahead of the pack. While Ozzy Albies, Marcus Semyon, uh, and Jose Altuve, is there someone else I'm forgetting? I guess actually Mookie Betts are so far ahead to me of everyone else. And you got the last one in Jose Altuve, who once again just had a productive season. 311 average here, 76 runs, 17 home runs, 51 RBI, 14 stolen bases. And don't forget, just 90 games. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe, what it was it a wrist injury um, at the beginning yeah, of the season he, when he missed some time? He broke something uh, in the hand <laughs> area during the World Baseball Classic. There we go. And so you must feel good about this with Altuve. Definitely. Uh, the production that he put up when he was healthy was absolutely incredible. And if he had not had that fluke injury from something that won't be occurring during spring training next year, I think he would have had one of the best seasons in baseball and people would really be drafting him even higher than he's going. He's been mm-hmm. so good for so long that it's not something where you're you're doubting his skills. There, there was definitely a little bit of that after the 2017 scandal sort of came to light that people started questioning the skills of the Houston Astros. But Altuve has proven that he is legit. And even in his 30s, he's still just as good as he was before. And he might even be better. Obviously, he's not stealing as much and he's not hitting 340 or whatever, but he's added power to his game that he never really had before. And this is a guy that can hit close to 30 home runs while batting almost 300 at the top of as I said previously, a really strong Houston Astros lineup. And he's also going to throw in some stolen bases. And like you said, middle infield in general is is pretty shallow. So the fact that I've locked those up in the first three rounds with a couple of guys that I feel really, really confident in, uh, definitely felt like the right way to go. This is a seal of approval. I mean, I I, I look at this and go, how could you go for anything else at this pick? It's kind of wild. Yes. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> it, I'll be I'll be honest too. I think uh, I might be leaning toward the, having the first five picks just so I can ensure that I get one of Semyon Albies, Betts, and Altuve. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think even if you think like this, if you are the uh, if you are the fourth pick or the first pick, um, I'd say no. Wait, let's say second pick. Then you essentially put yourself in a position where you can ensure that you get one of those four. Um, for the most part, I mean that's if they are all going, of course, in the back half of the draft and not getting picked up in the in the first part of the second round. But then, you, are they really going to pass like Bryce Harper and Juan Soto and Jordan Alvarez? Probably not. Um, 
So I think that's kind of how it's going to go. I, I love Altuve as a, a as a fantastic solid floor here. That's what I go for. Marcus Semyon, Ozzy Albies are also there. Um, and yeah, we're going to move on to your fourth, which is more risk here when it comes to Alvarez. Obviously, the thing was um, production over, uh, over health a little bit. Um, and you have Mike Trout. And I have no idea how we're all going to treat Mike Trout next year because we kind of see this as an inevitability at this point, given his back mm-hmm. issues. Uh, the last three seasons have been 36 games, 119 games, and now 82. But he's still incredibly productive at, on a per-game basis. 18 home runs, 54 runs, 44 RBI, two stolen bases, and 264 average. You can essentially just double all of those. And even though the stolen bases have been gone for ages, who cares? That's essentially 35 home runs with 100 runs and 90 RBI, um, even if the average did dip down. What makes you okay going for Trout here? Is it... The, the range of hitters, you just didn't really feel that there was something else to go for? Or do you think that, um, look, I don't really care about the injury stuff. I want the per-game quality. <laughs> I think uh, the way that I was thinking when it happened, I was like, oh, my God, Mike Trout in the fourth round? <laughs> I'll take that any day. Um, but, yeah, obviously there's the concerns of, of the injuries, which we've sort of become accustomed to, and the fact that if he does remain on the Angels this offseason, that lineup was awful down the stretch last year. If, sure. if Shohei leaves and, and other guys leave and they don't bring any, in any reinforcements, it's going to be a pretty tough lineup. There is the possibility he does get traded. I think it's it's very unlikely, probably under 10% chance that he is, is playing in another uniform next year. So you can't really count on that. But I think with the floor that I had for my first three guys that I felt pretty confident on that per game uh, production that Trout would be able to provide. And as we spoke about at the top of the podcast, the replacement level for outfield and, and hitting in general is super high in these leagues. And if Trout does go down, I feel pretty confident that I'll be able to find somebody or a couple of guys that should be able to approximate pretty solid production in that position. And, you know, with, with Jordan leading the way there and, and some of the other outfielders I got later on, I, I felt pretty good about it. But it there is a lot of risk there. I think the floor that I got early on sort of prevents me from worrying about that too much. Yeah, I think that is the right approach. Um, one... Uh, one sign of caution is you can't have too many because at some point you're going to yeah. run out of IL space and that can be a very mm-hmm. annoying problem to have. It's like, look, I have Trout, I have Alvarez and I have this other pitcher and that's it. And I'm stuck now. Mm-hmm. Um, I only have two IL spots. What do I do? That's an actual roster spot wasted. And imagining that they're all healthy entering the season. That's okay. The most valuable time for roster spots in my view is um, April and May as you're just trying to get your hands in as many pots for guys to last the entire season. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, just something to note. You can't take too many of them. I'm not saying that you, this is the wrong pick to make here, just something to be aware of. So here comes the fifth round and you decide to go for your first starting pitcher. Did you feel that ultimately this was too late to go for or the right moment? Uh, I felt pretty good about this area. I, I saw you were still waiting, so I knew that there were still well, guys I mean, it's available. Been draft. I'm going to be waiting. <laughs> I know. I I'm, know. I'm testing the water. You know. Yes. Yeah. So I, I, I think at this point, I, I felt there were few guys that I felt really confident in their floor. I really like going for a high floor guy at the top, and and with the guy that I went, I'll spoil it. Aaron Nola. He's he's one of the most consistent pitchers in that he's he's out there every day. Obviously, his ERA fluctuates wildly from year to year, and that's usually 
uh, not supported by his underlying metrics. They always suggest that he's better than than he should be. And with the way that he's pitched this postseason, which honestly he he has done every single time he's in the postseason, he pitches really well. I I think just the floor on Nola is something that I feel really confident about. The fact that he's gonna get two or close to 200 innings and he may not be the biggest strikeout pitcher but he is he's really solid all the time I do feel like there might have been better plays here to be honest because when I went back and looked at his season you know he's he's great at limiting the walks but the strikeouts aren't really there and that's something that I felt like I was lacking with that ace but that's sort of why I picked the guys I did following him because I wanted to make up that uh, deficiency that Nola has with the lack of strikeouts. But I do feel like if Nola does leave the Phillies or if he remains with the Phillies, I think his free agency here could be pretty important. If he goes to a team with a really good defense, could be huge for him, yes. as, like as mostly in the ERA department. Um, I don't expect him to start striking out more batters, but he's he's very solid and really trustworthy. Yeah, Aaron Nola still gave you 202 strikeouts this past year. It wasn't oh, yeah. It's the uh, volume there. Right. And uh, Nola's, I think since 2018, might even even be earlier, has gotten the maximum amount of starts every year, uh, which is this way that we navigate around 2020's shortened season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> saying he should have gotten on 200 innings or so each time um, or 32 plus starts. And it could go back up for the strike as there are certain ways with this curveball and his changeup. Um, that we might see those return. I mean, the swing strike rates have gone down on the changeup. The the four-seamer utilized a little differently, the changeup being a little inconsistent. I actually had to call him a cherry bomb by the end because it was just a complete shrug of, is this going to work? But as you mentioned with the defense, Aaron Nola should go to a better team. Uh, I don't think that the Phils open up the checkbook for Nola if they haven't yet to sign him um, for an extension. And you might see Nola land somewhere that uh, that helps him out overall. It's always the home runs that get to him eventually. It was 1.5 home run mm-hmm. per nine this year for Nola and 1.3 in 2021 when it was a problem then. You've always said that it's the odd year stuff. It's what it is with Nola. Every other year, he has an absolute insane fantasy season. I really hope that he can be bananas again next year. Uh, I have him a little bit lower. I, I actually just did another iteration of uh, the list and I do have Nola above your sixth round. Now, um, I believe I actually have him at 14, which sounds wild and maybe a little too aggressive. But essentially, you're right. I think the floor is I think I was underrating uh, the 115 whip, the strikeouts still being there, the era that should be better than this, the wins that should be better, the longevity of innings. It's just Aaronola should not be a 446 ERA guy next year. Uh, so sixth round, you continue you do this actually for four straight picks. And uh, you also just do not care about my list, which is fine. So uh, <laughs> was it out? Was it out when we were drafting? I think by this point it was. Oh, I didn't see it. Maybe not. Maybe not. It's possible. <laughs> okay, I uh, you might be right. Um, but uh, I actually do want to ask a little one more thing about Nola here because we have Garrett Cole, Spencer Strider, Kevin Gosman, Blake Snell, Logan Webb. That's the first five that went. Um, I take that back. Uh, Cole Strider, Gosman, Gallon Wheeler, Castillo, Burns as the first seven, then Webb eight, Snell nine, Pablo ten, Nola eleven. So you turned down Glasnow, you turned down George Kirby. Uh, were, was there a specific reason why you didn't like those guys that you liked or just that you loved the consistency that you've seen from Nola? 
Uh, the volume there, I think, is the most important thing. Uh, Glass now clearly is the, right. the maybe the antithesis of uh, what Nola does, and, and just he's a huge strikeout guy that just doesn't have the innings, and so that's a guy I would not want to count on as my ace. Obviously, I feel like he's got the ability to throw more innings than he has in his career, but that lack of innings led me to Nola there, and for Kirby. They, he and Nola are honestly very similar pitchers in that they are lower strikeout guys with very low walk rates. And, and I think Kirby might be a better pitcher, but we have not seen as much of him as we've seen from Nola. And I feel pretty confident that I can trust Nola all year long. And I don't, I don't think that's not going to be the case for Kirby. I just, I had a, a different feeling of who I wanted to go with my number one. And, and Nola, I feel like has a, it's it's hard to say that he has a higher ceiling because we may not have seen George Kirby's ceiling yet, but the fact that we've seen Nola have Cy Young S seasons in the past gave me more confidence in him being my number one SP. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, the 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 argument for Kirby is we haven't seen it, and there's mm-hmm. belief that he can develop it, especially if the slider becomes more consistent. Already has the foundation with the four seamer to be that kind of guy. Um, and it's why I have Kirby above because Noah just shows a floor that is lower than mm-hmm. uh, George Kirby's. Um, but I, I hope Nola kills it again. I, I want to live every day like it's Nola day. We're going to talk about the next pick and of course the next three uh, and all the rest. But the next three are starting pitchers. We're going to talk about all of those and more after this break. Okay, so we're back. And we got Tarek Skubal here. All right, Skubal. Hey, what's up, Tarek? Oh, wait, no, it's Jake Crumpler. And Jake took Tarek Skubal in the sixth round. Why do you like Tarek Skubal here and not, say, Justin Steele, Jesus Lazardo, Max Fried, and Freddie Peralta, who went after? Tarek Skubal was so good last year. I, I don't know how I could have taken anyone else here, honestly. He he proved to be like a top five pitcher in baseball down the stretch. Now, I don't think that's what he's going to be next season. Obviously, I would have taken him earlier if I believed that. But he was so good with the added fastball velocity with the multiple secondaries that he can trust and in a ballpark that's pretty comfortable for starters. I think with this next season, uh, the ability to put on more innings on his arm while continuing to pitch at this higher level will make him one of the best pitchers in baseball. And even if he doesn't quite replicate what he was doing down the stretch here, I still think the floor's pretty dang high because we saw even before the surgery that he had that kept him out for most of last year, he was he was showing an increased level and he took it even higher than that because of that increased yeah. fastball velocity. But th- this is a guy that I think is going to... I, I He's sort of a, a sleeper in that he's going later than I think he should, but I feel like he's, he's going to be pretty wide awake by the time we roll around to February and March when everybody else is is drafting because he was so good down the stretch. He was, so, it was unbelievable. And Tarek School had two, a 2-8 ERA, 0.9 whip, 33% strikeout rate, and a 4.5% mm. walk rate. I mean, all of those numbers are top 11 in the majors this past year. Obviously, he was only across 80 innings, so you question the legitimacy of all of it. And I do have to know, I think the biggest pushback you can have against Tarek Skubal is the schedule. It was really easy. He had a very, very easy schedule. He faced the Athletics twice. He faced San Francisco and Kansas City twice. And Oakland is in there. I mean, there there are a lot of... uh, Sorry, I already mentioned Oakland. (laughs) I'm just going to say that again because it's (laughs) Oakland. Uh, The Cubs, the Yankees were terrible. The White Sox were terrible. Faced them multiple times as well. The Angels were terrible. Um, Really, the only good team he faced was at Fenway. 
and the Rays and the Jays, and you can say whatever you want about the Jays. So, Tarek, is he going to be the guy that he's supposed to be? The four-seamer did go lower later on in the year, and I don't like that. The fastball should not be a low pitch. It should be one of those that's elevated more often. Yeah. The changeup, as you mentioned, from 2022 stuck around. That is the developments he had there to make it a 26% swing strike rate pitch in 117 innings. Yeah, that still was a thing. 29% swing strike rate in this time. And he increased its usage by 10 points, which is great to see. Though he hasn't really taken a step forward with the slider. Tarek Skubal, only an 83% strike rate on that, only 12% swing strike. I do wonder if there's another level even in this way. Um, but which is crazy to say it is, but also the four seamer <laughs> should not be as good. I look the velocity that was added is great, but a 41% mm-hmm. O swing on is 99th percentile. It's sure. CSW was 95th percentile. It's strike rate was a 76% clip at a 99th percentile. It's plus percentage. This stat that no one else references. I barely reference it myself, <laughs> even though I made it up. All it says is that when I throw this pitch, is this a good outcome for me? of the time, it was either a swing strike, a called strike, a foul ball, or an out in play. 100th percentile. I don't believe that's going to stick. No, that's unsustainable to me. Right. Is the velocity (laughs) sustainable? We've seen this too. Guys come back Mm -hmm. and they feel great and they feel refreshed. And then across the full season, it's not quite as good. So there are reasons to be a little skeptical here of Tarek Skubal. That said, it clearly is a good four-seamer. Clearly is a very good changeup. The slider could be better. And that's pretty dang cool. So sixth round, I, I understand that. I think there's a bigger question to be had about how we are drafting pitchers in general in 2024. Because it, this is the worst part, I think, about our mock drafts. I think a lot of us are too much on the same page. That is, we all waited on pitching a decent amount. Yeah, we all we went three pitchers in the first three rounds, which is not what you're going to get in your 12 teamer drafts. I'm telling you right now, it's just not what it's going to be. Sure, we did go four straight pitchers after that. But to me, we have to kind of figure out where are the thresholds of hitters to pitcher? Where are the the hitters we have to go and get and where are the clumps going to be where all the pitchers we do like that? Where are they going to go? And after Scooble, I mean, I think you might be able to still get six rounds Scooble a ton. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to be one of those top 15 guys to a lot of people. He is at 15 for me, but, you know. Um, but Senga went next. This was an interesting one. We saw Steele, Luzardo, Max Fried, Freddy Peralta, and Grayson Rodriguez. And then you went Kodai Senga. Now, there are a lot of guys still on the board here. There's Walker Buehler. There's Yuri Perez. There's Zach Eflin. Um, Cole Reagans, Joe Ryan. Bobby Miller. And you go Kodai Senga. Why Senga? Well, a, a lot of the guys, you, a lot of the guys you named were like difficult to find. There, there's not really. I didn't have rankings to go off of. I didn't have other drafts to go off of. There was that one NFBC draft champions draft that I was looking through to remind me of names. So it was difficult to, you know, Walker Bueller was not on my radar. I just sure. forgot about him, um, which is which is fair. But I, I still did not feel bad about the Senga pick. I I do think his floor is lower than a lot of the guys that you just named and maybe his ceiling is even capped compared to those guys. But the strikeouts is something that I was having difficulty finding in that area. I think Framber Valdez was the guy that I was considering most there just because he's so solid. He's got the incredible ground ball rate and he, he made some improvements this past season that I was 
pretty uh, enamored with, but Senga had a significantly higher strikeout rate. I think he was at like 29% with that. And that, that was the, the main thing there. I know his whip is not something that I'm going to feel confident about. Um, he, he walks a lot of guys. Um, but this was his first year in the major. So you could consider the fact that he gets more comfortable and he gets even better next year, whether that be throwing more strikes or, or limiting uh, hard contact and stuff, but just his ability to strike out almost 30% of guys is what I was looking for. Like I said, when I drafted Nola, obviously he's, he's doing the volume thing. He can get to 200 strikeouts by throwing a lot of innings and I needed guys to make up for that. Scoobles, one of them, 33% strikeout rate, like you said, and Senga, like I said, 29% strikeout rate is somebody that I could, trust to sort of make up the floor in the strikeout rate department. And I think Sanga is somebody that can throw a pretty decent amount of innings next year. Um, whether the wins are there on a Mets team that is likely taking a state setback next year, uh, that's up in the air. But I, it was mostly because he has the strikeout upside that I felt like most of the other guys going in that area were closer to Toby's than Sanga was. Yeah, closer to Toby's. There we go. There, There's where I'm. That's what I'm looking for. No, um, yeah, Senga's a weird one to me because I completely understand, hey, he just threw 200 strikeouts. He had a much better time, uh, essentially in around mid-June to the end. Um, if you want to start on June 17th looking, or it's actually the 23rd uh, for Senga, 16 starts in a row to end the season, 2.56 ERA, 1.14 whip, 30% K rate. That's incredible. Um, sure, 9% walk rate, but uh, he's clearly doing something right there. I it's too weird. I uh, I don't really love the cutter. That to me is the biggest deal breaker. And that cutter is a 71% strike rate. That is the pitch that enables everything for Senga. No, it's not the splitter. The splitter, hey, huge swing strike rate, 27%. He throws that in two strike counts, has a really good put away rate at 28%. Excellent right there and it's why you have those strikeouts because he's just throwing those splitters and they're working it's why you see all the low averages and x averages guys remember he ends at bats with the with the splitter and then it's a ball otherwise i mean it's a 52 percent strike rate if you're lucky uh this was sub 50 percent a ton for kodai senga's splitter and that's the ghost fork or whatever you want to call that so it means that Senga most of the time is really going forcing or cutter. Sometimes there's a slider. It's not very good. Only 55% strike rate and not a big swing strike rate pitch, not a high O swing. So really, he's not really relying on it. Um, and it's it's not that kind of pitch he wants to turn to. The four-seamer is not a whiff pitch. It's a 7.5% swing strike rate. Comes in hard, 95, 96. And sometimes it gets pushed up to 98 and even 99. I think I've seen this year. But it's not good. 476 PLV. This is a very susceptible pitch. Its ICR rate is 26 percentile. Like he is trying not to allow this pitch to get hit and only an 18% called strike rate. I think we're going to see more damage happen to Senga's four seamer in 2023. So it really does come down to that cutter, right? And it was a 10% swing strike rate, 19% called strike rate. So it's a sub 30% CSW, but its ICR was 84th percentile among all cutters, 32% ICR. And there might be something to that. I don't know. That is where I'm most hesitant. Because you have a, a whiff pitch, not a strike pitch in the splitter. You have a strike pitch, not a whiff pitch, that you're hoping to survive to get to two strikes on with the cutter. And a four-seamer that you just, oh boy. And 
I don't know if that's good enough for me. Um, it's a 122 whip for the year. It was really bad at the beginning. Obviously, as I mentioned, got better. Uh, it's hard to buy into a guy with 11% walk rate, even the 9% after. I think the only exceptions we've really seen with that, I mean, I'm giving one slightly to Cole Reagans, but I don't know. Um, he's going to be more of an 8%. Um, that it, it's weird to go into it. Those that went in on Dylan Cease saying, look, strikeouts, I don't care about the walks. You, you saw the volatility this past mm-hmm. year. That's why I'm down on Blake Snell because I don't think that he can uh, ride that very thin line of not uh, of allowing walks, but then no hits. <laughs> it's really tough to do that. So that's my biggest pushback on Senga. Is there anything that you would disagree with that and say like, you know what? I think that Senga is going to, yeah, your first year um, in the majors and maybe this will be different. No, I, I think you made some some great points there because I was super out on Dylan Cease last year. And now that I dive into him more, I, I see the similarities there, especially because he doesn't have that same incredible pitch like uh, Cease's slider that sort of carried him a couple of years ago. Um, the splitter's obviously amazing, but it, it's not a pitch you can turn to as consistently as you can right. with the slider. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I, I think this is a guy that I'll probably move down my rankings by the time I, I I dive into them. Um, but I, I do think that there is, uh, another level for him. And I think it, it probably is just throwing that fastball higher. I think his, uh, approach with that wasn't great. It looks like a 43% high location rate, which was in the 16th percentile. And Mm -hmm. if we're comparing him to Blake Snell, he thrives off throwing his fastball high and the, and the secondary is low, the Blake Snell blueprint as you coined. Um, and I think if, Senga could follow that same blueprint that could hopefully take his fastball to another level. But that that is something that, you know, you have to trust that he and the Mets are tuned into. Not to mention, uh, I don't know if Senga's four seamer is made for it. Uh, it's it's a good amount of vertical break, but it's not a ton. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes uh, there are guys like, you know, I mean, Kyle Bradish is a weird one because he has a cut fastball on it. There are times that guys try to do that upstairs thing and just doesn't kind of work. And I don't know if I believe in Senga being a command pitcher in the first place to develop that skill. What I do want to ask is now that you don't want to go for Senga here, who do you want to go for instead? Hmm. Uh, Not including, of course, your next pick. Yeah, I'm trying to remember which order this one in. Um, I think I might go with Aerie Perez, honestly. Um, He doesn't have the inning upside that Senga might have but he does have he he was he was so good when he pitched last year and I think That's he so could fun. bring the strikeouts that saying that I was trying to attain with Senga um Walker Bueller as well though I, I think he he is similarly as risky to both Senga and Perez just because we haven't seen him for a whole year but yeah I think Gabriel Perez is is somebody who has that that upside and it you know it's just fun to have on your team yeah you <laughs> Perez is a guy you uh I, I think that's actually one of the lost elements of fantasy baseball are having players that you are excited for their starts yeah oh yeah, Cole Reagans was like that Yuri Perez was like that you know Tarek Skubal was like that Grayson Rodriguez is like that you know I was just always just so amped Zach mm-hmm. Wheeler like that, you know, Strider. Sandy a couple years ago. Oh, my gosh. The amount of the number of Sandy Alcantara games that I have watched. Let me tell you, Jake. Um, But uh, but yeah, they're good calls. And by the way, guys, let's all give a hand to, to Jake Crumpler for being a very good sport about me talking about Kodai Senga there. 
Um, this is a wonderful pick. This is so cool. I, I was curious where he was going to go. I say wonderful, despite having three guys in the ninth round, four guys in the ninth round I've ranked above him. Still, I was so curious where Yoshinibu, Yoshinibu? Yoshinobu, Correct. I think I got it now, Yamamoto uh, would land. Tell us about Yamamoto, Jake. Uh, he's really good. Okay, cool. <laughs> we can move on. Um, yeah, I mean, I haven't really dove into his stats in the NPB, but he was absolutely incredible this year. I think he threw multiple no hitters. He had the lowest ERA in the league. I think he won the triple crown for like the second year in a row. He is the the best pitcher in that league. And that's a league that contains Roki Sasaki as well. So Yamamoto is probably the next big guy to come from Japan before Sasaki eventually comes over. And he's I, he's just incredible. He's got so many pitches. Uh, we I watched him uh, a couple times during the WBC because that was really the best chance to get a look at at some of these foreign players not playing for uh, not playing in the MLB. But he was he was incredible. His his windup was so funky to me, where he goes he does this like really slow uh, leg kick, and yeah. then he just unleashes everything when he when he turns his shoulders. And I, I thought that was. It was honestly, there was a lot of, uh, it was difficult to like watch it. It was like, not, not in that, like I, I wasn't enjoying agree. it. It's, it's just <laughs> too simple. It, it was, but it was, so, yeah, I was like, how is like he doing old. that and unleashing 95 miles per yeah, hour? Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was so weird, but it, there, there was also like a bit of illusion there where it was just like, I, I feel like if I were a batter watching that there, there would be some, something about his windup that would catch me off guard. And I, I, I found that really interesting. And then with the way that he's, he's pitched this year, I mean, he's, I think he's going to be a beast. It really depends on which team he goes to. I think that will um, go hand in hand with where he's taken in drafts yeah. because you sort of want him to go to a team with good pitching development so they can help him make a, a clean transition from NPB to MLB. But I, I, this guy, I think he's 25. He's going to be a, one of the best pitchers in baseball, maybe not right away, but the ceiling that he has coming over here really gets me excited. I don't think he's going to be the biggest strikeout guy. I don't think he's going to be 30%, but his ability to keep an ERA, maybe even below three while just being a super consistent guy and still being super young with the ability to grow more as he gets accustomed to the major leagues really got me excited for this pick. And it was mostly, uh, like I said, I was looking through that, NFBC draft. Um, and I saw him and I was like, Oh shoot, I better take him. We're still in the top 100. I, if I don't take him now, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm going to get him on the way back. <laughs> yeah. Yamamoto is someone that has a deep arsenal. He throws hard 95 plus. Um, he has a cutter at 90. He has uh, that swing and miss. He has a big curveball, and he has a splitter. And to me, you look at Senga, you look at Yamamoto and I see, wait, Yamamoto had a sub two walk per nine. And go, oh, so he does kind of the Senga thing while actually having command. That's and that's what gets me intrigued um, about Yamamoto. There might be something to be said about Senga getting more strikeouts, more faith in his splitter. Still, I think the floor, as you mentioned, is higher with Yamamoto. And that makes it, you know, what I, what I often say as the as my favorite kind of pitcher to get in uh, in drafts is is between normally around 20 to 40 or 20 to 50 the ones that have the floor of innings in production that you're fine with that you're saying cool i'm I'm not going to take this guy on my lineup i trust that he's going to be there 
Mm -hmm. and has upside for more. Like he's getting drafted not for his ceiling, but for the floor with that upside. Mm -hmm. And last year that would have been George Kirby. And uh, and Logan Gilbert were the two. Gilbert hit the floor, which was still fine for you, while Kirby did hit more of a ceiling, and there's even more to go. That's how I found Zach Wheeler in the past. That's how I found Sandy Alcantara in the past. This is the mold of that kind of player. And Yamamoto carries that. I mean, he's someone I think I'm going to be going for a good amount. And I originally had him like in the 50s when I was like, okay, there are all these Japanese free agents coming. And I'll just circle them all together there. And then I looked more into Yamamoto. I was like, oh, okay, cool. I'll put him in the 40s. Mm, maybe 30. Mm. All right, I'll put him at 27. <laughs> and uh, I- I'm a fan of this. So it's not a seal of approval just because of the guys that are there in the ninth. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that we're going to be giving a huge focus on Yamamoto. Um, ninth round is a fun one, and we're going to talk about him. We're, we're done with pitchers for a bit, guys. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm I'm just really sad. We can go much faster now, and we have. Well, we, you've got an interesting lineup be, being formed here, and we're going to find out after this break. It's Vinny Pascantino. That is the pick from Jade Crumpler's mock draft. We're going to talk about now, who's coming off of an injury, and he's in the ninth round. Is that too late, Jake? Uh, I think it might be too early Um, (laughs) because uh, I keep referencing this NFBC draft that I was referencing. He went way later, like a hundred picks later, uh, which, which I was very surprised about because this is a guy that people were super hyped about going into last season. And it's not like he's coming off an injury that I think is going to change his abilities going into this next season. But there are, there's the questions about, you know, whether or not he can stay healthy again or, or whether the lineup around him is good enough to make him a a good fantasy contributor, but his ability to combine power with incredible plate discipline is, is what has enamored me for quite some time. He has just super great contact ability for a guy of his size, uh, somewhat reminiscent of Jordan Alvarez in that, you know, he's, he, he's got a powerful swing, but he's not going to strike out a ton. Jordan Alvarez strikes out more than, than Pasquantino and Pasquantino is a guy that I think could walk more than he strikes out, which is something that I've always been super intrigued by because I play my home league is a points league and uh, we get minus points for strikeouts. So guys that walk more than they strike out are like my favorite players. Uh, I think Pasquantino has the ability to do that. And if he can just stay healthy, I think his floor is really solid. I think he could be a guy that bats 275 with 20 home runs with an upside of batting over 300 with close to 30 home runs, which obviously that's that's like 100 percentile outcome. But he, I think, has a, a really high ceiling. And the fact that we just didn't see him for a whole year is going to give you a huge discount when taking him in fantasy drafts. Man, so I didn't expect to see this. This is actually, this is, huh. Um, what do you, do you, do you, have you been following at all, Jake? My whole theories about PLV hitter um, attributes. Um, uh, you'll have to refresh my memory. Yes. So we have uh, this wonderful PLV hitter app. You guys have heard me talk about this. Um, okay. But I have good news, by the way. Now, um, in the uh, uh, it's a PL Pro app that we give to everyone, which is the PLV hitter attributes, and allows you to have these wonderful rolling charts. And PLV is not just a pitcher thing. It's just to analyze a pitch, which we can then use to judge pitchers. And, of course, hitters. We can judge mm-hmm. what pitches they're seeing. So we have swing, aggression, and um, strike zone judgment. But the real three, the power three to me, are, well, power, contact ability, and decision value. 
And if you have good marks in all three, you are a good player. You make good decisions. And then when you decide to swing, you make contact. And that contact is power, right? So when you talk about uh, strikes, strikeouts and walks, um, generally, there's two reasons why you don't strike out. One, you make really good decisions to not swing at pitches out of the zone. Or two, you have really good contact ability. And when I looked at uh, Pascantino, I was surprised to see that he had, I mean, obviously elite contact ability, but around 10%, 15% decision value um, this year. And so I went back to 2022 just now. Fortunately, it was above 90th percentile across his final 300 pitches or so of a rolling 400. So among at 700 pitches to about 1,100 or so, he was uh, above 90th percentile. So that's okay. That makes me feel better about Pascantino that the skill set is there to make better decisions. His strike zone judgment too, by the way, and same I kind of they're often linked. Was really bad in 2023 and was much better in 2022. So I do wonder if the injury was making him overextend in some way. Um, was it a lingering thing or not? I don't know. That was the biggest concern. However, if that is rectified, if that decision value goes up because the contact ability is insane, the power we know is there, and maybe not to the Jordan side, um, but uh, he should have above average power. Vinny Pascantino can be, yeah, he can be really good in uh, Kansas City. And also, I should note, his average is 247, but our X average has him at 292. Nice. He's 96th percentile. So... There's a lot to like here with um, Vinny Pascantino. And what's even more interesting to me is who's the next first baseman that should go? Uh, the next ones that go are like Encarnacion Strand in the 12th, Jake Berger, I guess, in the 13th, and your Reese Hoskins in the 18th. Is there anyone else that I'm missing here? Uh, not really, right? You're running out of options at this point for first baseman. After Casas has gone, oh, there's Josh Naylor at the end of the ninth round as well. Mm-hmm. I think I, I don't know if I prefer him over uh, Pascantino over Spencer Steer. Would you have gone Steer instead? Mm, I'd have to dive in more into Steer, but there is the, I do sort of buy into the sophomore slump for for some players, especially ones that aren't like elite in, in terms of talent. Obviously, yeah, sure. guys like Acuna and Soto and, and Bobby Witt are, you know, one of a kind talents that when they have incredible rookie seasons, you're not really expecting them to fall off because they're so good. Uh, right. But somebody like Spencer Steer is, I think, on the he's more of a mid tier. He was more of a compiler this past season. And I think as the league figures him out, he'll probably have a tougher time next season. Mm-hmm. Uh combine that with Joey Votto likely being back with the team next year and Steer maybe not having the amount of playing time that he otherwise would. I think that Pasquantino is going to be in that lineup every single day uh, and has a very similar, uh, I think, floor and ceiling to Steer. I think I would still prefer Pasquantino over Steer. All right, there you go. You heard it here first. Um, we're going to go to the 10th round here and you finally go and get a closer as... <laughs> Rick Graham nods along as you take Rizel Iglesias. Uh, where did you personally have uh, Iglesias here? Were you thrilled with this one in the 10th round? We're like, okay, this is fine. Yeah, I, I was sort of just waiting to see how the closers would go. Uh, obviously, I do have some more confidence than I think uh, 
everybody except for Rick does in, in drafting closers in this draft. Um, and I think Rysel is a guy that I have trusted for multiple years now. And after he turned things around and sort of had a really, really good second half this past season, I, I felt really confident again. It's mostly the fact that he is the closer for the Braves, which have been the best team in baseball for a couple of years now. He's going to be getting a ton of saves. This past season, sure. he had 33 and he missed the whole first month of the season. So I think he's guaranteed for at least 30 saves. And if he plays the whole season, 35 to 40. And this is a guy that has a starter's repertoire for a, a a closer, which I think makes him really interesting. Usually you have closers, they've got one or two pitches. And this is a guy that has three and even even throws four if you want to separate his his four seamer and sinker. But he's got a, a really good changeup that has a 89th percentile CSW, one of the best swinging strike changeups in baseball, and a four seamer that's in the mid 90s, and then a slider that he can throw to righties to get them out. Another really great swinging strike pitch. He's got such a great arsenal. He's on a great team and he's got the track record that I can really trust that this is not going to be a guy that I'm going to be thinking about losing his job at any point. I mean, Rizal Iglesias, uh, you know, I remember when he was a starter for the Reds. Uh huh. Yep. Oh, back in the day. Um, yeah, the slider only going down to 15% usage is interesting. Um, that used to be his bread and butter 33% mm-hmm. in 2020, 31% 2021, now just 15%. Still 21% swing strike rate, which is pretty wild. And that changeup, yeah, you 70% strike rate on a changeup. That also misses bats as much as it does at 25% is just unheard of. 50% O swing. You relievers get these, you get these weird stats from relievers that I'm not used to, okay? <laughs> because it's supposed to be within a certain range as a starter, but if you only have to throw 55 innings, you can do crazy things like this. Um, yeah. Yeah, Rizel Glaces, I feel like, is a stable. Uh, play here um, and when it comes to to closers it's uh, correct me if I'm wrong is there a certain trend that you look for really with uh, with when drafting them they feel is more you know stickier than others because I mean it feels like Iglesias is a rather safe one here yeah I, I think usually the my CP1 is somebody that I, I feel confident about that that's pitched for multiple years. Like I'm not going to be going for last year, let's say like uh, Alexis Diaz in this area where he doesn't really have that kind of track record. And I want a guy that's on a good team. And I usually like to wait until around pick like 115 to 125 to get that first one. I usually think that's mm-hmm. a good range. It never really pays off to get the number one guy because relievers are so volatile that even Emmanuel Class A, who seemed like the safest possible option last year, was pretty underwhelming despite having a ton of saves, leading baseball in saves. He he ha- took a big step back. I think he's going to be fine next year. But I think waiting for those cliffs to fall off is usually the way to go. Getting one guy that you really trust, the second guy I think can be a guy that has a job but has upside. And then from there, you want to just start going for the guys that that are either sleepers or, or you think have the potential to take over a job or just are high upside, high strikeout pitchers like uh, Brian Abreu, for example. But ha, as definitely the game right now for the oh. Astros. Ooh, what's the score right now? That's <laughs> uh, three to Texas as Carter grounds out to first. Barely, might, they might challenge that play. Um, but uh, no one cares. You guys all know the outcome as you're listening. To this, so sorry. <laughs> Um, but uh, and Carter's staying at first base right now. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, what I want to ask you about relievers here is we saw Edwin Diaz go in the sixth and then the next one go with class A in the eighth. 
Do you think that closers are going to be like that? Obviously, there is some pull that happens with an NFBC drafts. It is kind of frustrating. Mm-hmm. It, it muddies the waters with ADP because in if you guys don't know, NFBC leagues, of course, you cannot trade. So saves in a 15-team league, you have to go and get early, and then they get pushed up so much, especially if you want to win your main event, you have to get a ton of them. So it, it, it's different for 12-teamers, like especially at head league where you're going to win a week five to four in saves or so, and it's not really as important as it is your 15-team Roto Leagues where you can't make any trades. So do you think we did it right in this draft of having a lot of guys go in the 8th, ninth, 10th round? Yeah, that's where I would usually take them. And usually I'd expect somebody to push one up, and and we saw that with Edward Diaz going in the 6th. But yeah, I relievers are so volatile and honestly now there are teams are going back to the closer i don't know if you recognize that this past season there was so little chaos in the turnover of closers and there were so many Mm. teams going back to traditional closer which i think is very clearly identified by how the rays used pete fairbanks this past year when he was healthy he all he did was close. All he did was pitch in the ninth inning with a three run lead or less. And sure. that was it. And the fact that the Rays, the ones that have sort of created all of the crazy strategies with relievers, the fact that they went back to a traditional closer, I think sort of shows a shift in philosophy for how teams are using relief pitchers late in games nowadays. I think uh the ability for a reliever to know when they're going to pitch, I think is really good for how they go into games and, and their mental health coming into I that. I cannot agree more. This is Alex Think Fast. Alex Think Fast still living on inside of the OTC. Um, but yeah, it's it's something I've said a lot. It's also about why I think openers are bad too. Mm-hmm. Um, is your role as a pitcher is so important to know and be consistent and have that routine. It's why the best starting pitchers, even if they tell you, okay, you're not so good against the first time through the lineup, they won't have openers because they say, no, we believe that you can, you know, we need to give you that to not in any way dilute what happens after. And I think it's the same way with closers. Um, And I agree with that a ton. And I actually remember Rick this year just having a massive, I believe, tier two of closers constantly every week because Mm -hmm. they're all just good guys. Like it all works. They're on their team. There's no real risk with them. And generally when this happens, there's always a pendulum swinging, right? It's going to be really good one year, so we draft that way, and then it's all terrible the next, and so Mm -hmm. on and so forth. But yeah, Rizal Iglesias in the 10th round is a silver approval to me. I think this is just so sad. Yeah, it's Atlanta, guys. It's Atlanta. Um, I got Hater in the 8th because I was like, I don't know what the closers are, so I'm just going to be like, okay, here we go. (laughs) And the general rule also for me, inside of drafts, a friend of mine, Ben Dean, said this years ago inside of our home league, said, look, when I don't know what to get in my draft like there isn't someone that's just jumping out to me i'm like oh yeah i need to get that guy i just draft a closer and uh it's normally around the 10th round um yep. 11th round has showed up and it's seya suzuki i was wondering when i should go after Seiya. i needed a third outfielder for a long time and you decided the 11th round was the right one instead of say george springer james outman or jorge soler what made you go with seya suzuki it was mostly his incredible second half. He was 
took his game to another level, which I think many people had been waiting for him to do because there was a lot of hype when he first came over here and he sort of underwhelmed in his first year. But in the second half, Seiya Suzuki batted 313 with a 372 OBP and a 566 slug that came with 13 oh, wow. homers and five steals. That's a 149 WRC plus. And that's for a full second half. You put that over a full season. He's hitting 25 home runs with 10 steals and batting well over 300. And it's backed up pretty solidly by StatCast numbers as well. He had a, a 114 max EV with a 12% barrel rate. Uh, that I feel very confident in in him taking his game to another level this, this next season. I think for many people coming from overseas, there is an adjustment period. And I think we saw that with Suzuki, especially with him dealing with all kinds of injuries and everything. And then he finally got healthy in the second half. He got used to playing in the majors and he really started to show the abilities that he showed in Japan. And now with a, a team surrounding him that I feel is has a pretty underrated lineup. Oh, we'll see how they replace Cody Bellinger. But Suzuki, I think, could have a, a really huge breakout season next year. It's interesting. Overall for the season, he had a 45% ICR, which is 93rd percentile in the second half. 49% ICR. Mm. Um, but say Suzuki, his power was, oh man, um, such a second half was 90th percentile and above. Um, when you look at the PLV metrics of it, um, when you want to talk about decision value, let me tell you. Yeah. Above 75% the entire year. Um, percentile. Good to see that from Seiya Suzuki. So what's the last one? Contact ability. What did he do? What did he do? Yeah, it went way up in the second half. In fact, it was actually pretty good early on. He had his massive dip midway through and then he was up to about 75th percentile after that right around the halfway mark. Those are the, That's the holy trinity to me about hitters. And to see that from Seiya Suzuki, I imagine the Cubs aren't going to be bad. You're absolutely right about Cody Bellinger. Where do you think Cody lands, by the way? It's got to be the Yankees, right? If they don't get Cody, what's going on? Hmm. I, I, on my personal podcast, I'll do uh, I'll do free agent predict, predictions, and I, I never get them right. <laughs> so, uh, so let's say maybe, where you get it wrong then. Yeah. So if I say Yankees, then he won't go to the Yankees, right? Well, I don't know if I want that as a Yankee fan, so I don't know. Okay. Yeah. I'll get. I'll say the Yankees. Okay. All right. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, but Seiya Suzuki, I think actually I'm going to be targeting, say, a good amount, I think. And I don't I don't know how the, the back half of this draft is going to go. I think every single year we find our hitters that we go, wait, these are the ones I really want to go for. Mm-hmm. These are the major upside ones, the ones I think are really going to take the next steps. And I'm very curious how ultimately I find that Seiya Suzuki will um, form around it because I really do like Jorge Soler. Um, I do like James Outman. Uh, and I don't know if I want Suzuka more. Taylor, Taylor Ward was just so good, save for injury. And you're right about the Angels lineup, but also Taylor Ward can be just so dang good. Um, so there are going to be some fun ones there. Uh, it's 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 a solid pick here with Suzuki. Thank Andres you. Munoz, 12th round. I mean, isn't he just a complete stud? Yeah, I, I think there is a level that he has not quite yet reached. Uh how hard he throws and how good his slider is. This is a guy that should be one of the best relievers in baseball. And while I I do think he is one of the best, I think he, he should be better than he is. Obviously the walks usually bite him and, uh, He's still pretty young. He throws pretty hard. It's, it's hard to, uh, control a a fastball when you're throwing it that hard, but 
he he is so good. His fastball is is incredible. He throws it consistently in the hundreds, and it's not even his primary pitch. He throws the slider more often, way more often than he does the four seamer. And the slider is one of the best swinging strike pitches in baseball. And with Paul Sewald out for good, then I think Munoz is going to have the claim to the closer role all year long this year. And I think the guy you want to compare him to is Yohan Duran. They both throw really hard. They're both young guys with a lot of potential that have been given the reins to the closer role. And we saw Yohan Duran go off the board in the eighth round, and I got Munoz in the twelfth round. While Duran has shown that he is a better pitcher than Munoz, I think Munoz is a guy that is sort of was sort of underrated in this draft. There were there were some solid closers going ahead of him, but I, I trust Munoz more than a lot of the guys that went ahead of him, and I think he's got a higher ceiling. I mean, a, a 32% strikeout rate is nothing to scoff at, but this is a guy that I think should be like 35 to 40, just with it, how good his stuff is. But I, it, mostly it's like Pete Fairbanks, Ryan Helsley, and Alex Diaz all went before him. Did they? I'd rather so have hard Munoz. To, I'd rather Munoz. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, I, I think um, all of them didn't realize. Because, I mean, we're looking at this up also of total saves. He only had 13 this past year because of injury on Andres Munoz. I would have taken Fairbanks. Um, I'm a big Pete Fairbanks guy. Uh, in the pen is a Pete Fairbanks stand so. podcast. Um, yeah, I that that is that is a thing. But that's something that's also a bit Munoz. Once. Fair. Sure. Um, I, but yeah, yeah. I, the the other options there. I mean, Alexis Diaz, I think, is miles below Andres Munoz, and I think Munoz Absolutely. is going to be a consensus top ten by the time we get closer to so real sorry, draft Chad. season. Uh, <laughs> um, but I, but Andres Munoz. I mean, here's what how I'm doing this. I I see the guys that go as starting pitchers in this in this round, and I love mm-hmm. mine. I I gave myself a seal of approval for getting Brian Wu in the twelfth round, but. I I went Josh Hader in the eighth round. And if I said, okay, Nick, let's say you got Cole Reagans and Joe Ryan instead, eight, nine, and then didn't get Brian Wu and instead had to get, you know, let's say like you're, or actually in the 10th round instead of JT Ramuto got a Reza Iglesias or like a Munoz or something like that. I think I'd be much happier doing that. And I might be focusing on getting, just really doing that traditional uh, 7, 8, 9, 10 starter run and then doing 11, 12 relievers if it goes like this. Mm-hmm. So it probably won't, but you know, a man can dream. Um, again, I, I feel weird doing this, but another one for Munoz, seal of approval. There you go. Oh my gosh. The I'm guy from in the, the pen, in the pen again, all the relievers, seal of approval is wild. <laughs> um, okay, what we have <laughs> round 13, as of course we're going to get a little bit long here, is Max Muncy. And I debated with this. Because Muncie is a free agent now. Mm. And that's the that's really where the value of Muncie is. We all kind of know that he's just he's a big boy. He gets he's got that power. 95 runs, 36 mm-hmm. home runs, 105 RBI, stolen bases average, very low. One stolen base, 212 average, 26% carry, 15% walk rate. It's a massive product of where he is in a lineup. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where Muncie's going to go. And that was my biggest hesitation. Do you think that the average is going to come up and does it really matter where he lands? I think it does matter where he lands. And I think I messed up with this pick. Uh, there were a lot of third basemen that I was considering and they sort of went off the board 
while I was uh, not expecting them to. I think Cabrian Hayes went to uh, Chris Weber, Schwebzy, and he already had a third baseman. So I thought I was going to be able to get Cabrian. And then Cabrian he- Hayes is the Toby of hitters. <laughs> no, 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 no. Did you read my article that I that I wrote last yes, year? Yes, I know. Okay, yes. He he's he's taken his game to another level. Nonetheless, I took I took Muncie and there were other guys that I think I would have rather had and they went right after. Rick took Jake Berger and I think I would rather have Jake Berger over Max Muncie. Mm-hmm. I think the trajectory of their careers are sort of crisscrossing right now and they're both very similar players. Uh big power um Obviously, Muncie had the runs and RBI advantage there, but now that he's not going to be on the Dodgers, I think that's that's one thing that you're not going to be able to count on. And I think Berger, with the way that he was able to increase his contact rate in the second half when he joined the Marlins, it like really changed what kind of player he could be. And I think that's somebody that's going to bat 20 to 30 points higher than Muncie. And I regretted that almost immediately after I did it. Um, and I, I wish I'd put more time into researching it, but Max Muncy's still really good. He usually doesn't go this late in drafts or he hasn't in the last few years, but you make a good point that leaving the Dodgers, I think with his batting average that low, he's getting into his mid thirties. I think this is probably a year that I wouldn't want to be in on Muncy. And I, I think if I had made the burger pick here, I would have felt a lot better. Now there's one thing I will give you. We don't know that Muncy is leaving. 100%. Sure. He, if he mm-hmm. re-signs with the Dodgers, this is totally fine with me. Um, it's, yeah, it's just a big question about that. And yes, I am with you of Jake Berger, what he's doing. Mm, that's some fun stuff. We even kind of knew when he was on the White Sox, I like, given all the opportunities, I mean, this should be improved, all this kind of stuff. Lots of talk about his contact ability or his contact um, in play being very good early in the season. And it's just nice to see it come alive with Miami. Um, it will be worth Jake Eater, I promise. Uh, Clayton Kershaw is next in the 14th round. This obviously is a risk-reward pick, but it's the 14th round, so you thought, what the heck, why not? Yeah, this had the same vibes as like my Mike Trout pick, where you know Clayton Kershaw in the 14th round, it, it's not like he's gotten worse or anything. He's still so good when he pitches. Okay, yeah. maybe in this, okay, okay. maybe the in the skills. The 246 yes. ERA, 106 uh-huh. whip, 26% carry. That is, I think, way better than anyone really realized that Clayton Kershaw Correct. was doing. We have also seen, though, the degradation of the skills as the season mm-hmm. went on as well, which is really the concern. I mean, by the end, the shoulder is just done. Like It, it is terrifying in this way. And I think it's the, the harshest rate I personally have of somebody just kind of following his September in really, I guess, very brief October uh, of just nice of what to expect of Clayton Kershaw. Right. Um, that's the only fear I have. And I actually found myself doing the list and like I kept pushing him further down and further. I think at one point I had him at like 60 or something. Whoa. And I was like, okay, I can't, I can't do that. I mean, there's also the risk. Is he going to retire? Is mm-hmm. that it? Um, I don't know how much we have left in it. And I, I might mean like giving you time to like defend yourself. And you obviously will. Um, but like you, Darvish, Nathan Evaldi, Merrill Kelly, Tristan McKenzie all went next. I would much rather have all of those just because I feel a more confident they're going to have a full season. Um, and B, I feel like I'm not going to drop any of those four in season. Um, you can say some stuff about Nathan Evaldi's health and stuff. I feel like that's still a better 
um, bet than than Kershaw at this point. But then again, yeah, you're right. Kershaw's just never been bad. Um, it's really hard to feel as if he's just going to be that here. Yeah, it, it's really weird to take him this late in a draft and, and still have those reservations that uh, it might not be a good pick. Right. I, I, Yeah, I just didn't really feel confident in the other guys going in this area. I think you you mentioned a, a bunch of veterans and a bunch of guys that have dealt with injuries recently. I think sure. Merrill Kelly might have been the only other guy that I would have taken over him just because he is just the most consistent. Toby, what do you call him? A Holly? Yeah, Holly, because you're between a 20 and 25% strikeout rate. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I really like Merrill Kelly in that he's he's really consistent and you can trust him and he's not going to be a big strikeout rate guy, but he's going to throw a lot of innings and make up for that. And maybe that would have been the wiser choice there, but the upside that Kershaw presents, and obviously he's probably not going to throw more than 140 innings, but the per inning rates I think are going to be really good. And even if he does degrade a little bit, I think he will still be really like, Clayton Kershaw falling off is like, what a low threes ERA. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, I would, I would, I would actually. I know it sounds weird to say that because of how good he has been, mm-hmm. but uh, I mean, we saw it. You know, we we saw in October what it is when he. Oh, he does that every year. I'm a Giants fan. I no, 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 I, I, no, I love I love I seeing no, that. I saw. I I I know what his com- bad command looks like. Um, and it's very rare to see it. And a lot of times in the playoffs when he doesn't do well, it's not because it's necessarily always a bad command and lower velocity. And that was a man just trying as hard as he could to get that ball over the plate. Mm-hmm. It was really like painful to watch. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, again, 14th round, hard to tell. I, I think really the big discussion here is there are more options than I expected at this point. Yeah, I, I mean, I knew there was some depth, but like this is really fun. All the like 16th and 17th rounds there yeah. each. There were only about three non pitchers taken or so. I mean, it was four in the 17th. Uh, so that's what I uh, like. Uh, seven minus 24 equates to 17. 17 pitchers were taken in two rounds, which is insane. Uh, and there are di- many different hands or pots to put your hands in. I don't know if I want to do Kershaw, but I don't. I can't really, you know, be harsh on you for for doing it. Lars Newbar is next in the fifteenth round. Should I have taken him instead of Nelson Velasquez? Uh, Nelson Velasquez is really good. They are very different players, right? To me, Lars has some just the across the board production that I don't think Velasquez has Velasquez huge power. Um, and he doesn't strike out too much, but he is on the Royals and he does strike out just slightly less than too much. Um, <laughs> but Lars, Lars Newpar is a guy that was a, a common breakout pick for this past season. And I think if he had played the whole season healthy, only played 117 games, we would have been talking about him differently. But this is a guy that stole 11 bases and hit 14 home runs in those 117 games. That's like a 2015 guy who has really great plate discipline, uh, one of the highest walk rates in baseball at 14%, and he strikes out less than 20% of the time. And on a Cardinals team that I think is going to turn it around after a very weird down season this past year. I, I think Newbar is a guy that I'm going to be targeting a lot because he sort of rose up draft boards a lot last year because of the hype surrounding him and him playing for Team Japan and sort of becoming a player that w- was more uh, well-known, I guess, because 
you know, he's got the the cool name. He, he was on Team Japan, buddy, buddy with Shohei. And, and I think everybody really liked him. And a, after a season that it was somewhat underwhelming, I, I think he could uh, step things up a little bit in terms of his production on the field and staying healthy. And you'll have a little bit of a discount. I wish he had maintained the stat cast numbers that got me super hyped last year. He had a 12% barrel rate in 2022 that fell to under 9%. And he also had a 46% hard hit rate that fell under 38%. Uh, this is via fan graphs. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I like that Jake is apologizing. I'm like, what is he referencing right now? What? Is, I don't know. <laughs> Man. No, I, I mean, look, ICR rate went up. Barely. That's all I care about, which is 39% sure. in pretty much both years, which is 54th percentile um, with that. Um, the, the POV metrics generally like him. They say, like, look, everything's above 50 for the, the, the fantastic three of decision value, contact, and power. Um, his overall 60 hitter performance um, essentially says that in performance, just saying based on the pitches you see, you perform above or below the average hitter. Um, and 60 is good. I mean, the average is around like 45 or so. Um, so that's solid to see. I mean, just to give you guys an idea, Corey Seager and Otani are the only two above that are at an 80 and Acuna Jr. and Betts and Judge are at 75, Jordan Alvarez and Freddie Freeman. And the a guy that was not drafted, believe it or not, is the only other 75 or above. Can you believe this? He has a Are you going to tell me who it is? Do I have to guess? 25. Um, but a decision value of 70, a strike zone judgment of 60, and a power of 70. Uh, he only had he only saw 583 pitches this year. Do, can you figure out who it is? They weren't drafted. Uh AL East. Oh. That man is on the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh oh. Davis Schneider. Davis Schneider. And I, I can't believe I didn't do it. You know, I mean, look, the the difference between him and Judge, 70 decision value, 35 contact, 80 power for Judge, 70 decision value, 25 contact, 70 power for Schneider. It's kind of interesting. Just throwing it out there. Also, hit a performance. Well, it's kind of telling you, hey, the skills are a little bit worse than the results in this way, right? Hit a performance is the only one that's really results-based, and the others are more based on actual skills. Um, but uh, but still kind of interesting. Newbar does well here. And I, I like this pick. Um, again, I'm, I'm talking about like with Say Suzuki. Like Newbar is in that realm of like, yeah, these are guys that I think will get opportunities. They won't necessarily hurt my team. And they have some upside to them. I think it could be interesting. So I like that one. It's kind of funny also, as we went deeper in the draft, I decided to say, you know what? I'm going to look at all the top prospects that, pitched, that played in AAA last year. And I was like, cool, I'm just going to grab one of those. Who cares? Oh, you know what, Nick? Not just the pitchers. I'll try and find one that is a hitter. But Jackson Churio, I got it, uh, went in the 16th. I was like, wait, he got taken rounds ago. Why did you take him, Jake? He's like the best prospect in baseball. I, I think he's the next big thing to me. Oh uh, just the, the the power speed and the, the abilities at such a young age to make it all the way to AAA. He's really exciting, and I think with the the way the Brewers have been promoting their prospects in recent years, I have a pretty high level of confidence that he's going to make it to the majors this year. Whether that's on opening day, still up in the air, probably unlikely, but I think this is a guy that by May is in the majors, and I think he is of the caliber that he is great from the start. Uh, he just 
rising three levels all the way to AAA as a 19 year old is is wild and he he's going to be really good and he was sort of like the last chance to get like a, a top five prospect in baseball in this draft and you know I there there is less confidence in him than there are in some of the guys that went before him but he I, I think he's just one of those naturally incredible ball players so Jake. I think that's a good pick, and uh, I'm all, all for it. Of just we're, we're going to get more information on as we go. How do you feel about Jose Leclerc? He just allowed a home run to Jose Altuve in the again Game Five. A big, big blow to Rangers fans everywhere with that changeup. Um, how do you feel about him right now? Just in general, don't look up the score. Don't look up anything. Bases <laughs> loaded, one out. Leclerc's in the game. Okay. Oh, how do I feel about him like right now in this game? Um, No, no, just in general for like for next year fantasy baseball. uh, He looks like a nice guy. I don't know. Um, (laughs) Yes, I think he's uh, a. I think he's going to be the closer for that team, but they are a team that is very has a very clear need, and that's in the bullpen. And there are actually some really interesting free agent closers this year. Absolutely. (laughs) <laughs> or uh, somebody that Rick took later, Robert Stevenson. I think he's going to be oh. probably the most interesting guy that we are talking about all offseason over on In the Pen. But I think there are clear options that the Rangers could go for to improve in that area that could slot right into that closer role and really solidify that bullpen. If they don't, which would be foolish, I think LeClerc is a the best option that they have there. And we saw that in the second half as he took over the closer role in September. He just doesn't blow me away with his stuff or his, his abilities. And I, I, he's more of like a mid tier guy that is only a closer on a team that doesn't have anybody that is really good. You know? Yep. Uh, so Leclerc did exactly what you're supposed to do with sequencing bases loaded. First pitch coming. Throws his cutter whiffs out right out of the zone. What do you do? You throw another one whiffs out of the zone. There was another one, weak soft liner to shortstop. It's exactly what you're supposed to do. The guy tells you he's looking for a fastball. You just throw not fastballs. And he will get himself out, especially when uh, they're in a situation when they want to swing out of their shoes um, to hit in that run. Believe it or not, it's actually defensive to the hitter in those situations, not the pitcher. Um, oh, boy. John Singleton is up now. And okay, this is so tense. I am so sorry. I shouldn't be doing this. This is a podcast. Everyone knows this right now. I'm just live reacting to it. So 17th round is Aaron Savali. Um, I have him listed at Toby. I jumped him around a lot. He did make some changes with the Rays, but he's still ultimately that 70% cutter plus curveball guy. He did kind of go uh, Blake Snell blueprint a decent amount um, with, I think, there were two starts where he had a, good, uh, a fair number of strikeouts. And it was where his cutter was finally upstairs and his curveball was down doing the Cannibal McSanchez, as I call it. Um, the only two guys, uh, Hannibal Sanchez and Colin McHugh, that I really remember of doing high cutters effectively for called strikes. Kyle Brash can't pull that off. Um, do you think this is just kind of a safe win play here for Aaron Savelli? Do you see more upside? Do you what, what drew you to him over, say, like Eduardo Rodriguez or Tyler Wells? Uh Zach Eflin drew me to him. <laughs> I had some uh, <laughs> I had some shares of him last year, uh, and that really it paid off really well. Uh, Zach Eflin took his game to another level, and I don't even think it was th- there weren't even like super huge signif- significant changes. It was just increasing the consistency on his curveball uh, that 
<laughs> your your face right now reacting it's to whatever's going two, on in this two game. Out. Face is loaded. Four <laughs> two game. Um, I I think the Rays are just so good at pitching development that whoever goes there, you sort of you got to bet on the Rays figuring things out. And we saw a glimpse of of what Savali could do there. And I think the biggest thing was just him increasing the strikeouts there. He increased his strikeout rate ten percent. From Cleveland to Tampa Bay, that's huge. 19% to 29%. Obviously, small sample can be blamed on all kinds of things, but this is a guy that never really was a big strikeout guy. And if he's going to come over, throw 180 innings and strike out close to like 20, if he's striking out 25% of guys and is on a on a team that's going to give him many win chances, I feel pretty confident in him, especially as a guy that in the past has been you know, a Toby that that was taken later in drafts with a little bit of upside because he's got a, a pretty deep arsenal. But this is more of a entrust the Rays, get this guy to break out. And even if he doesn't, I think he's still going to be pretty solid high floor. Maybe I do end up letting him go because he's just a Toby, but I, I trust the the Rays a lot. I need to take a moment. <laughs> oh, thank God. Oh, okay. All right. There we go. Woo! You threw the right pitch call. Oh, my God. Okay. Sorry, Adam. You're going to have to edit this. Uh, oh, man. That was tense. It was a high cutter. And it was the right pitch call. Um, you know, actually, I I, I, uh, I don't mind sharing this. Adam, you can leave it in. It's fine. Uh, hey, everyone listening. What I did a really fun thing this week um, where I sat down and I created something called Nick Pollock's Secrets of Sequencing. Uh, which is, I know this is a complete tangent. We'll talk about Aaron Savali in a second. I, I want to hear your thoughts on this, Jake. Um, and if you guys have been following me all year with like playback and everything, you've noticed that I have a lot of rules when it comes to pitching. Uh, if you watch my videos, I said, this is what the book is. This is what you're supposed to do. This is what the batter is thinking. This is what the pitcher's thinking. And I started to realize that I need to write all of it down uh, and really be like, okay. Is this just snake oil or not, right? Am I just being a salesman, an entertainer or something? I'm just some guy, come keyboard warrior. Obviously not, but still. So I finished my first draft of it, Jake. And watching, uh, you know, that entire at-bat against John Singleton, um, there are a lot of, I mean, there's there a lot of things that go into it. But what John Singleton showed, it was, it was I think the Rangers do honestly some really good sequencing. And with Leclerc there, it was a 2-2 pitch. He threw a fastball and uh, or 3-2 rather. He threw a fastball down the middle and Singleton just fouled it off. Couldn't really do anything with it, which then shows if they can't hit that one, that means Singleton is not looking for a fastball. He's looking for an off-speed pitch and he's trusting his ability to catch up to the fastball that I could beat on that. However, next pitch, Leclerc actually threw a, threw a fantastic fastball upstairs. Singleton still got to that, which then says, okay, wait, hold on. Singleton now is having a strength more of a strength towards the fastball you got to go to something else Leclerc did that with the cutter at 92 even though it wasn't a strike it looks too much like the four seamer upstairs which is why bringing it back Aaron Savali is able to do well with his cutter upstairs and he got uh, Singleton to swing possibly at ball four there Um, there's a lot of things that I'm likely not going to be sharing this publicly everyone I am tempted to share it with PL Pro members only um, but there's a lot of reasons why I don't want to make it a public post. Um, however, uh, yeah, I do feel that's one of those cool things that I can share, uh, with PL pro members and, and kind of Jake is you've watched a lot of baseball in your day. 
Um, do you find yourself playing that game yourself with just trying to sequence and figure out the next pitch? Yeah. No, I, I definitely will be watching a game and be like, uh, this is going to be a slider down and away. I'm never right. Um, but <laughs> it, it, it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. It is something that I think most people that are super into baseball are usually trying to guess the next pitch. I think uh, that that's the cat and mouse is is one of the most integral and, and fun parts about watching baseball. It's without a doubt. Um, and uh, for those that do read this, I implore you try to try to call me out on it. Um, because, I mean, obviously, it's not going to be a 100 percent correct thing. These are humans. Um, but I, you know, the way I see it is one of the fun things about baseball. And I think this is actually going back to our conversation about closers was that the game changes all the time. And one of the bigger focuses now, the pendulum has swung so far to just saying, these are the numbers on things. And there's different ways of doing that. It's not all just like, this is what their WOBA is against something, right? Um, we can see really cool things like certain swing decisions and certain situations and everything. That is really interesting information. But back in the day, we didn't have this, right? We didn't have as much data on on habits. We just had kind of intuition and kind of rules. And there's a reason why Greg Maddox was as good as he was. People say, yes, is this command. It is his command, but it's also the right command. You can put the pitch mm-hmm. where you want to and it can still fail because the batter is on that. Batter is aware of that and wants to swing at that. And what Greg Maddox did so well was understand what the batter wants in every situation and why. And it's not just a rule of thumb of saying, hey, it's a fastball followed by a slider. No, it's saying, hey, this guy is leaning out on that slider. Hey, this guy just fouled off uh, a fastball inside and pulled it. That means that he is so timed for that. That means I need to give him something else that looks like that fastball. And he's going to be way ahead of that one. And then, bam, I got him on a change of inside. There's so many ways to manipulate that. So um, I think ultimately, the, it, you know, my, my whole secrets of sequencing is not the end-all be-all. It's just that extra little edge that you should be able to get on the mound that says, great, I have all this really interesting information. Here's something else that's telling me something for this one scenario that I can now take advantage of. So that's a fun project. Uh, and uh, we're back to our normal regular schedule with programming about Aaron Savali very quickly. Zach Eflin was a different pitcher. We saw that there was an element for him to get better. That was the curveball. But we also mm-hmm. didn't see one, which was a brand new pitch that was a cutter. Did not exist for Zach Eflin. And then the Rays were like, hey, throw this. He's like, oh, okay. This is all right. <laughs> and it was amazing. And I don't know if Aaron Savali can do that. Uh, I, I don't have faith in him to all of a sudden have something new and be totally different. That said, Aaron Savali, 3460 rate, 116 whip, 23% K rate. It's fine. Like, I have no real issue with uh, with Savali. I think his 17th round. That sounds cool to me. You need some innings. You shouldn't really be upset about it. I see him kind of as like a Seth Lugo from this past year. Um, yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> right. Uh, it's closer to Toby than I want, but arguably yeah. Holly because it was 24% strikeout rate in 2022 and 23% here. So it's fine. I, I Again, no issues. I think I want Eduardo Rodriguez a little bit more. I think I probably mm-hmm. want Tyler Wells instead. But he's in that grouping, and I'm cool with it. Um, Reese Hoskins is next. As I as I told uh, Jake, this would be an hour and a half. I <laughs> got him. Uh, Reese Hoskins <laughs> is next. And you got another first baseman here, but 18th round Hoskins, this feels like a steal. 
I think everybody forgot about him. I, I had did. forgotten about him. And then I and then I found him and I was like, oh, yeah, Reese Hoskins. He used to be so good. And then he didn't play all last year. And maybe we'll get to see him in the World Series this year. And that'll drive his his draft stock back up. But yeah, this is a guy that was one of the most consistent power hitters in baseball, like consistently 30 home runs. And he's not a detriment in the batting average department. He's been consistently in the mid 240s uh, in each of the past three seasons that he's played. And in a lineup that's as good as the Phillies lineup that should be completely intact going into the next season with all of that talent around him, he's going to be driving and runs like crazy. And while I did have a first baseman already in Vinny Pasquantino, I felt like some, a backup plan there was, was required just because we didn't see, we haven't seen a lot of Pasquantino. Um, and as a utility guy, I think Hoskins uh, will be pretty solid, just providing me a lot of power and, and being pretty solid in the run producing department. Yeah. You still need utility guys. Yeah. You know, that's not a bad thing. It's a, it's about an average uh, contact ability for Hoskins in 2022. Um, his decision value is well above average. I mean, times he was just mm-hmm. absolutely killing it in that regard, which is really nice to see. And power surprisingly by the end was just above league average. I mean, at times it was insane. Yeah. He's like a, he's like a pulled fly ball guy. Right. So I, yeah, no seal approval. This is insane. I was really jealous. Um, Let's go. I'm going to say you're going to see Reese Alaskans not in the 18th round. Um, Jordan Lawler in the, uh, in the 19th round, we've barely seen this guy. 34 plate appearances, got the call in uh, September. I uh, tell us about Jordan Lawler. Jordan Lawler is one of the best prospects in baseball. Like you said, we saw him for a little bit down the stretch. He did not do much, but this is a guy that drafted super early in 2021, sixth overall to the Diamondbacks. And with Nick Ahmed being DFA'd and then subsequently released and the third base position likely freeing up Geraldo Perdomo to move over. I think shortstop is going to be Jordan Lawler's. And even if he doesn't hit right away, I think he's still going to provide power and speed that is difficult to find at this point in the draft. In his age 20 season in the minor leagues, he hit 20 home runs and stole 36 bases. And at age, and that was at double A AA and triple A. Um, like I said, he was 20 years old. I think this guy's really legit. The strikeouts are probably going to be an issue. Strikeouts strikes out a little more than you'd like to see for a guy of his caliber. But I still think him having an everyday role in that Diamondbacks lineup and just being a power speed guy. I think he could be like a 15, 15 at the very least. And uh, that's pretty great to get at this point in the draft, especially with the upside that he presented in the minor leagues. I'm all for upside picks in the 19th round. Um, This is a lovely one. You should all be circling Jordan Lawler, probably going a little bit higher. I think uh, in your 12 teamers, I'm tempted for another seal there. 20th is Brandon fought. And Brandon Fawn surprised us a lot in this playoffs. He surprised mm-hmm. us a bit down the stretch where he just would have these games. And even though it's a four-seamer that doesn't get whiffs, it's a slider that is very good high CSW and a changeup that sometimes shows up. Do you think that there's another level here for Brandon Fott? Oh, for sure. Yeah, he he showed it in the minor leagues. Everybody was super excited to draft him this past season, and he really let everybody down. But like you said, down the stretch, he was much better. Um, he went more four-seamer slider than I would have liked to see because this is a guy that I felt like was good at going deep into ball games because he had a repertoire that he could trust across the board. But the fact that his his slider is such a good swing strike rate, I don't I don't really blame him. But we saw that he can shut down uh, an incredible Phillies lineup at in the on the biggest stage, and I think the 
confidence to be able to do that is something that is difficult to find in most pitchers. Just that that metal to be able to put yourself in a, in a situation like that and, and come out better and a whole off season of being able to prepare after everything that he's learned from his first full season. He's on the older side for a prospect pitcher too, which I sort of like him being a, an older guy and, and being able to handle the pressures of the leagues. He'll be 26 next year. I, I really like him, especially as an upside guy. He may not be the biggest strikeout rate guy that, that you can really go for at, at this point in the draft, but he's so young that it's like, you're not really sure what his ceiling is. He, he I mean, he's young into his career that I, I could see him being a 27% strikeout rate guy that has much better ratios next year at, at his peak. So Brandon fought has a home run problem. We know this mm-hmm. uh, 2.06 Homer per nine. It was so cool oh to him. Also, if you mm-hmm. don't remember his first three debuts and what I mean by that is when he debuted, when he came back the first time for just a moment and then a third time properly, all of them were against elite offenses. And it was just, come on, guys. This is not fair whatsoever. <laughs> um, with Brandon Fought, I do think that that is, can be attributed to his four-seamer not really having a lot of induced vertical break, a little bit of slight cut action to it. And I was really surprised at this because it, you know, I thought of Fought being this overwhelming four-seamer almost flat at first when I first initially saw him. And then I realized, oh, no, this is an issue. And then you pair that with a sweeper, which means that everything's a little bit more... With this changeup as well, which has a decent amount of ride, you have this east-west approach almost with Fought as opposed to north-south. And that to me doesn't speak to the kind of overwhelming upside that we see from the other young arms like Wu and Miller's and and Miller. Mm -hmm. I mean, actually, Bobby, not as much, but um, like Reagan's and and Ryan and uh, and Kirby and, and Grayson and so on and so forth. So... I, I do worry about that specific arsenal. The sweeper is very good. Don't get me wrong. It's pretty much just like his, all right, I am I can do everything with this. 19% swing strike rate, 31% CSW, 68% strike rate. It, that is really everything with thought right now is his command of that sweeper. And it's phenomenal. I need to see more from the heater side. And if not, I need to see, as you mentioned, that change up to become more of a 12% usage pitch. Uh, and he maybe used it a little bit more um, as he uh, came back. Um, actually, I take that back and play only 10% since the start of uh, August uh, with mm-hmm. that usage of his changeup with peaking at 16 and 22, but then like four. <laughs> um, so I, I, I'm i a little weird out by thought, but you're right. It's going to be a second season for thought. We just saw the emotional fortitude. Um, especially after all those home runs he's allowed earlier in the year. And it's absolutely possible that Fought can introduce new things. I'm personally going away because of the lack of overwhelming fastball, but maybe there's something that I'm missing there. And that could turn into something. He'll certainly get the opportunities in Arizona. I mean, it's really just Kelly, Gallon, and Fought at this point. Um, I mean, Ryan Nelson, maybe? They're going to get Blake Snell. Okay. Uh, <laughs> next up, we have three more to go here. Michael Franco. Franco. Nope. Just kidding. Ha, ha, ha. I see Michael. That's all I can think of. <laughs> oh, man. It's Garcia. Michael Garcia with Kansas City. Wow, you have three Kansas City hitters here. Do you feel okay about that? No. <laughs> <laughs> Why Garcia? He's really fast, and he hits the ball hard. And that's a combination that is usually difficult to find. Uh, 35th percentile hard contact rate or 35th, 35% hard contact rate, ninth in baseball. And he had 23 stolen bases in just 123 games. He's 
doesn't lift the ball as much as I would like. The fly ball rate is very low, third oh, percentile, man. 21%. Um, that's the biggest problem there for why he didn't hit more home runs. But I think if you're hitting the ball hard and you're really fast, that lends yourself to have really high BABIPs. So this is a guy that's likely to bat 270 as a floor. And if he can reach 300, I would not be surprised. And he's a guy that's on pace to steal 30 bases, 30 plus bases. And uh, there's not much competition in terms of playing time there. So this is a guy that I think a good bench option because he does, I think he'll have multi-position eligibility. Um, Let's see. And he also, like I said, hits the ball hard and is really fast. And obviously there's potential for him. If he can lift the ball in the air more, he should be able to tap into that power a little bit more. But he played 14 games at shortstop, 104 at third base. So he should have third base and shortstop eligibility. And one game short of second. Oh, only four games. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but as far as power, yeah, power is around 10 percentile, 15 percentile for Michael Garcia. But the decision values are there and contact ability is there. And mm-hmm. if he hits it hard, that's oh, that's super interesting, man. Why? Oh, man, you're getting me in on all these Royals. You're getting me in on Vinny P and Bobby Witt. And, <laughs> I mean, I already was in on Nelson Velasquez and now Michael Garcia. Oh, this is what I'm talking about. These guys all get better next year. Is there anyone mm-hmm. else on that Royals team that we should know about that I'm just completely forgetting? You picked like, Nelson Velasquez. I did. Oh, I did that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I said. <laughs> oh, I thought you said who? Um, not you. And uh, Michael Massey, should we care about him? Uh, there's there's some things that I like about him. He he does have uh, more power than you would expect from a middle infielder. And there he's go. got pretty good plate discipline. Uh, but it really depends on if he gets playing time there. Obviously, Salvador Perez, MJ Melendez, I think is pretty underrated. Uh, huge power in the minor leagues that hasn't truly shown up yet in the majors. And uh, I, I'm sure there are other guys in the minors that we have yet to find out about, just like Garcia last year. Definitely. Um, we got two picks left here. Gregory Santos. Tell me about him. Oh, he's he's so sick. Uh, the Giants <laughs> traded him. <laughs> the Giants traded him, and that was really disappointing. Uh, it cannot, for the life of me, remember who they got back. It was probably somebody that w- wasn't super notable. But this guy throws really hard and gets a ton of ground balls. He is Bruce Gratterall, except he can strike guys out. So if you think Bruce Dargratterall is good, just imagine Gregory Santos. This guy was 24 this last year. He's got a lot of potential. And with the fact that he throws that hard, he throws his slider as his most used pitch. Um, 88th percentile CSW at 37% in the CSW department. And like I said, tons of ground balls, 56%. And he throws 99 miles per hour with his uh, sinker and four seamer. Uh, mostly, He's mostly sinker slider, but... Yeah, he is he is bruised our Gratterall with the ability to induce swinging strikes that that Gratterall really has never been able to do. If you guessed, if you are shouting right now, Caden McClure as the guy that went over to the Giants. Wow, look at you. Uh, you got that right for Gregory Santos. Yeah, it is a slider that it comes in hard, 70% strike rate as well, uh, 20% swing strike rate this past year for, uh, for Santos. It is a sinker. It doesn't miss bats. It's 9.6% swing strike rate this year as, oh my gosh, Adelise Garcia just hit a grand slam in the top of the night. Let's go. Nine to two. Nice. (laughs) I am looking forward to watching a game seven finally. You know, an actual winner take all game in this playoffs tomorrow. Mm -hmm. A one game playoff 
that's going to be something else. Um, but I, with Santos, I get it. The sinker really does not seem good despite its velocity. Um, mm-hmm. It's at 99. It's uh, it's ICR is 68th percentile, 32%. And you're talking about ground balls as opposed to being left. That's finally, it doesn't really throw his four seamer. Um, but uh, he just, he chucks it a lot down the middle. Um, so I'm a little worried about that. But yeah, you think he's going to close for the White Sox next year? He was closing down the stretch until he got injured at the end of the season. Then Brian Shaw took over. And I don't think Brian Shaw is going to be getting in his way at all next year. Um, But yeah, I think Gregory Santos is the closer of the future there. I think the future begins in 2024. And there's little competition there after they trade it or or will lose everybody in free agency. Well, all right. And then the last pick is a seal of approval. It's Sean Murphy. You should not be able to get Sean Murphy in the last last round. You know this. Like I saw him go, are you serious? Why did I go and get... JT Real Muto. This makes no sense. Are you uh-huh. serious? Did Jankowski just hit a home run too? No, no. no. Cal Tiger just jumped into the stands to rob it. Wow. <laughs> and he's so bored about it. Like that was such an amazing <laughs> play. And he's like, this stinks. We're down nine to two in the ninth inning. Oh man. That's, so, that's Jankowski. And he almost got a home run. What in this world right now? Um, Sean Murphy though. Like, fine. I uh, obviously silver approval. If you can get Sean Murphy in the, 23rd round why would you get any other catcher really any other point but second half was really bad with Sean Murphy yeah I I think if you're not waiting on catchers to take them in the final three rounds you're doing it wrong the catcher pool is so deep and I think more so on the back end like in the the 8 to 12 range yeah there's so many upside guys uh the top of the catcher pool is also I don't think it doesn't separate itself as much as it has in the past that's it really yeah there's there's so many great options later on. I, I think there's so many guys that went undrafted that I would have been just as happy to get as Murphy. And I think what made me go with Murphy was, like you said, second half was really not great, but his first half was incredible. And it's not like that was like out of nowhere. We saw him be really good with the A's in the past two seasons. And I think just him being on the Braves is the the biggest thing there. He's going to have so many runs in RBIs. My mind might change. I may go for like Gabriel Moreno uh, next or later in the off season. And there, there's tons of other upside guys that I, I may favor more so than Murphy, but Murphy's floor here is, is really great. Usually I want to go upside, but it is catcher. It's a guy you want to roster all year long, but yeah, I, I think I, I think this is a perfect encapsulation of just how, easy it is to wait until the final round to get a catcher and still feel super confident about it. I think it changes a lot in two catcher leagues, but in, in 12 and 15 team one catcher leagues definitely wait as long as possible because there's so many options. Right? No, I, I completely agree. And uh, so that's it. That is Jake Crumpler's mock draft on a scale of one to 23. Jake, how do you rate this team? Um, I'm thinking about like which picks that I I wouldn't have done over again. And there are a few, I think I would give myself a 19 out of 19. Why 19? Um, I I think there were like three picks that I might've done over. Mm -hmm. And then I did one less because (laughs) to be more humble. (laughs) And what I, what was your favorite pick? My favorite pick, um, I, 
Yoshinobu Ma- Yamamoto, I think is, is really exciting. I think if I do get him in my drafts, I'm going to be really excited to have him on my team. Um, and I, I think where I took him is, is a place that I felt really comfortable doing so. And, uh, and lastly, what was the pick made by somebody else that you really wish that you made instead? I think the easy one for me is Jake Berger instead of Max Muncy. But since we belabored that point already, I think I'm going to say, well, Pete Fairbanks is, an, is another one. Rick and I are on just the same page. We, we On our podcast, we just can never not agree on stuff. And it really makes it difficult to have like good discussion because we're always just like, yes, I agree. Um, but I think... Michael King is a, is a really interesting pick with the way that he pitched down the stretch this past year and how good he's been. I'm more familiar with him because he was a reliever. And mm-hmm. so now seeing him transition to the rotation and having a lot of success, that's one that's that's really exciting. But I think there's tons of upside plays down the last few rounds that that really get me excited. And uh, yeah, I, I, there's, uh, there's, I think, a, a number of picks that, that I could say for that. But Michael King is, is one that was... Uh, one that I feel like I missed out on. Yeah, you're fine. Um, so uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but Jake, it's awesome having you here. It's been great to, to talk to you for the past uh, hour and 45 minutes. Uh, remind everybody where they can find your work. You can find me on Twitter at Jake Crumpler, and you can find all of my work at crumplerbaseball.com. Well, there you go. I, Jake, thanks so much for being here. Definitely listen to In the Pen, of course, and the First yes. Pitch Podcast and find all of his work on PitchList and on Baseball HQ. Mm-hmm. But that is it. So on behalf of Jake Crumpler, my name is Nick Pollock. May your balance be low and your strikeouts high.